And we're going to go in Isaiah 40 from verses 1 to 11 and then skip ahead to verse 29 to the end. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised, shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of, the, of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning. Peace be with you. Really good to see you. And Merry Christmas. This is our last gathering between now and Christmas Day. Uh, we are not doing a Christmas Eve service this year, although we hope to do one next year. We hope that becomes a, a great tradition for us as a church. Um, but hopefully this, this Advent series, the, the last four Sundays, have been a great opportunity for you to, to slow down and to, to reflect and to remember the meaning of this season, to remember the glory and the paradox of Christmas. One of my favorite things about this season as a parent is uh, just the sheer anticipation that children have right around this time. Like the last week before Christmas is the absolute worst if you're a child. One of our kids finally hit a breaking point this week. Like he broke down, actually more than once, and was like, I can't take it any longer. He's like, can I just open one present? I was like, not till Christmas Eve. You get one on Christmas Eve. He's like, can I have that present now and not on Christmas Eve? I was like, no, life is about waiting, so no. We might even make you wait on Christmas Eve. I don't know. We'll see. But my, my hope and prayer for us as adults is that we can, we can share in this childlike wonder and this childlike waiting in the season, but not for the presence and not even for, you know, seeing our family and our friends and our, our children's excitement, 
but would we share in this childlike waiting simply for Christ, simply for all this season means for us as Christians, the, the redemption of our souls in Christ, the birth of our Savior, the desire of nations has come, and this is what we're celebrating this week and all week. And so our theme this morning is comfort for the hurting. Uh, I want to pose only two questions, so I don't even have a third uh, question or a point this week. There's no application. There's nothing to do. All right, Christmas is this week, two questions, and that's it. And so the questions are, what kind of healing does God bring? And then how does he bring this healing? So what's the healing that God brings, and how does he bring it? Let's open in prayer. Father God, we come before you with hearts that are full, hearts that are full with anticipation and excitement and expectation, but also, also hearts that are, that are full with with grief and with uh, struggle and affliction, hearts that are full because of conflict in our relationships, hearts that are, that are full because of all the good things you've brought into our lives this year as we begin to look back, but hearts that are full too because of uh, the disappointments and the challenges of this year that we might even be wanting to forget as we enter the new one. Lord Jesus, we, we see and we look to you in this season and we seek to be reminded not only of your life and your death and your resurrection, but also of your birth, that you came into this dark and broken world out of love. And so, Lord, as we do another sustained meditation on what your birth means this morning, would you open our eyes? Would you reveal to us your true glory, the glory that you said you have shared with the Father from before the beginning of time, Lord, may we just get a little taste of that this morning. Holy Spirit of God, would you minister to the deep places of our hearts? Would you, would you bring comfort? Would you bring healing to our hurts, to our wounds? Would you show us the way in our, in our lostness? Would you shine a light where there's darkness? We know that you are everywhere present at once, but we ask, as we always do, that you would be here in a powerful way even now in our midst. Would you manifest your presence to us so that we can feel and experience you, Holy Spirit? And so, Father, Son, and Spirit, as your church, the people that you love, reveal yourself, change us, convict us, shape us, and then send us back out for this week as we go to see family and friends and, and do all the things we work, the things that we do, Lord. Would you be with us all week? In your son's name we ask, amen. Amen, all right. Well, first question, what kind of healing does God bring? And there's a couple things I have in mind, but the first one that this passage shows us is redemption from our sins. We read in verse one, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And Isaiah's message here at the beginning of chapter 40, this message of comfort, comfort for my people, it comes at the end of a long stretch, Isaiah 1 through 39 where the words are pretty hard and pretty difficult. We've looked at a couple of great passages in this stretch, but most of it is basically judgment. Judgment on the nations, judgment uh, being warned to Israel that they will be just like the other nations if they don't turn back to God. 
It's a difficult book to read through start to finish. A lot of us might not even make it to chapter 40 if we don't realize how great it gets at this point. And chapters 41 to 66 show us a life in Christ, a life where God is fulfilling his promises to us, a life even in the new heavens and the new earth. And so chapter 40 serves as a kind of transition in the middle of the book. God announces your hard service has been completed. Your sin has been paid for. You will receive double, a double redemption for all your sins. Now, I was reading a, a sermon this week by Eugene Peterson, who is a, a Presbyterian minister and a, and a spiritual writer. He passed away last year. Uh, but he has a sermon on this passage, and he opens it by saying that it, it should come with a, a sort of warning. Isaiah should come with a warning that says, dangerous, take only under doctor's orders. And the reason he said this is because we can be so easily misled by Isaiah 40 if we simply pull it off the shelf and read it out of context. Well, some of the most famous words in the scriptures come at the end of this passage. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar with wings like eagles. We want to look to this promise and see it, but we can't see that promise apart from the context that it's written into. It comes only within the wider story of Isaiah's prophecies. The warning against falling away. The destruction that comes in, in doing life apart from God himself. And so what Isaiah 40 holds out to us is not a cheap peace. It's not a peace that comes at no cost. All real peace in a broken world must come at a great cost. And so when Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people, it's not like a Hallmark card that's just Christmas feel-goodism where he's saying, you will have great peace in this season. It's not saying comfort, comfort, we'll just put all the darkness behind us, we'll just set all of that aside for a moment and feel better. It's not like that at all. In fact, another one of the great old prophets, Jeremiah, he says this of the, the false prophets of his day. He says, prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. In Jeremiah's time, Jerusalem was under attack. It was literally surrounded by a foreign army right outside of their walls. And these false prophets were going around saying, peace, peace, it's okay, it's all good. We're going to be fine. When very clearly it was not going to be fine. They were about to come under judgment and be attacked by this nation. In Isaiah's time, the people of God were already in exile. They're far from Jerusalem. And so how, if, if it's wrong to say peace, peace in that moment, how can Isaiah say comfort, comfort my people when clearly the people are already far from God? Well, most simply what the prophets were doing was speaking directly from the heart of God. Through Jeremiah, the people who were experiencing this cheap peace and their, their false sense of security inside the city, they needed to hear the hard words of warning. But in Isaiah's prophecies, the people were already under the heavy oppression of another nation. And they needed to hear the softer message of comfort, comfort for my people. And so for you, I don't know where you're at this morning, whether you feel like you need that, that soft word of comfort. Whether you feel like you are far from God and you have felt distant for, from him for some time. And you are desperate to be reminded of, of how you've been forgiven from your sins, how you have been redeemed to the Father, 
how Christ has given his life for you and therefore we have comfort and peace in this moment. Some of us, though, we might need the harder message. We might, we might be looking at our lives and seeing the brokenness that still exists within, even as Christians. We look inside and we see the hidden, the, the remaining darkness, the sin that we thought we have rooted out, but then it, it rears its ugly head once again. And we look out to the brokenness of the entire world. We look to our communities and we see so much pain and hurt. And the answer there is not to just say peace, peace, but to remember that this comfort, this healing that God brings always comes at an incredible cost. We might need the hard message of warning. We might need God to call us back to obedience, to, to honesty, to a deep commitment to him. There is no such thing as cheap peace. If that's all you're looking for at Christmas, if you're only looking for the quick offer of peace and comfort apart from the realities of this hard world, Christmas is not really the place for you. The scriptures, definitely not Isaiah, that's not the place to go. But instead, the message is even better. It's peace and comfort through the darkness, through the pain. It's God speaking light into darkness and comfort into our deepest hurts and our deepest needs. Jesus didn't come into a gentle and kind world to make all of us a little bit better, to, to improve us, to refine us, that we would be a little bit more evolved in, in spiritual people. Jesus came into a world that's completely wrecked by sin, that's upside down with, with brokenness, and he comes into this cold, dark world as a little boy, and he turns our hearts right side up as well. And so the first thing that, that Isaiah 40 promises us is redemption from sin. But the second thing is a, is a more comprehensive healing, a total healing of our lives. In the same way that we've seen a, a, a real renewal of, of the world in Isaiah, we saw in chapter 35, a total restoration of our physical world. We saw in chapter 11 that these animals, the lion and the lamb, will lie down together. The child can play near the serpent's nest. All hurt, all conflict will be wiped away. And that's the theme in chapter 40. It's comprehensive healing. Verse 3, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And so there's a few phrases here that I want to draw our attention to. And the first one actually comes back up in verse 2. It's that the hard service has been completed. Now, how can Isaiah say that, that the hard service of Israel has been completed when they remain in exile. They weren't about to break free from their oppressors. They actually remained in oppression, under oppression for some time after this. And yet what Isaiah seems to be saying here is that their real issue is not slavery. Their real issue is not oppression. Their real issue is not that they are far from Jerusalem. The real issue is that their hearts are far from God, that they were living in a state of spiritual exile. They had turned away from God. They had trusted Egypt to give them deliverance from Assyria. They had gone down looking from, for help from other pagan nations rather than trusting the Lord. They were worshiping all sorts of other gods. 
And yet God is saying to them, for a while you will remain in exile, and yet I will still bring you back to me. I will solve your your ultimate problem. I will bring you home in the truest sense, even while you remain far off. And it's incredible even that he says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem because they were nowhere near Jerusalem. They were in Babylon, which is as far from Jerusalem as you can be geographically and culturally. They They were far from Jerusalem, and yet Isaiah is saying, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And it's a way for God to, to remind us of, our, of us as his people that wherever we are, no matter how far we are geographically or culturally from where we ought to be, we're never too far from God. Even in Babylon, Israel was still being called Jerusalem. It's a way to say if you are citizens of a king, wherever you are, you are home. You are my people. You are Jerusalem. Jerusalem's not as much a place as it is a people and a presence. Now, one of these great phrases, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a desert. I don't think I've ever been like legit in a desert. I can only imagine, you know, from like the movies. If you're in a desert, I don't know how you find your way out of a desert, right? Like it's sand everywhere. There's a blue sky above you with, you know, a sun that's just beating down on you. How in the world would you find your way out of there? Even if you had a compass, you, had, you would have no idea what direction to set off in to find the nearest you know, town or oasis or whatever you, whatever you most need. And so I would imagine there's a lot of meandering in the desert if you're by yourself with no navigation skills as I don't have. You're trying to find your way out. You don't know which direction to walk. And even if you didn't know which direction to walk, it wouldn't be a straight line. It would be all over the place. And many of us, spiritually, that's true of us. In one way or another, at some time of life or another, we feel like we are in a desert. We feel like we have no idea which direction to go. Even if we do know what direction we go, it's still a meandering, all-over-the-place kind of path. And yet Isaiah is saying here, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That God will make clear to us the path that we ought to take. God will make a way for us to get directly to himself. He's saying you will find your way out. You will find what you need. And then verse 4, every valley shall be raised up. Every valley shall be raised up. Now on the first hand, I think this is part of the, the total redemption of our world, the restoration of our physical world that we can look to the, the valleys of our earth and trust that one day those will be lifted up. But more spiritually, what I think this is saying to us in our, in our moment is that the valleys of our pain will be lifted up, the valleys of our brokenness, the valleys of our, our hurt, the valleys in our heart where, where there, is, there is deep confusion, where there is deep pain. All of these things will be lifted up in due time. Every valley shall be lifted up. God is telling us that true comfort, true healing is only found in him. These deep valleys in our lives, the deep places in our hearts that experience, in our hearts that experience so much pain, these can only be lifted up in the presence of God. But then likewise, the next line, every mountain and hill will be made low. 
Traditionally, this is understood to be talking about the mountains of our pride, the the high places of our lives that need to be brought low, need to be humbled. Just as the low places will be lifted up, so the high places of our self-sufficiency, our desire to do it ourselves and get the glory for ourselves, all of that will be humbled and brought low. Part of God's healing is a humbling. Whenever he lowers us, it's so that we can become more like his son, more dependent on him. And so don't resist even the mountains and the hills, the high places of your life being brought low. Healing is part of the very nature of our God. I love the line in 2 Corinthians that opens the book. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. And so the comfort, the healing that God brings, it's not cheap peace, it's a costly peace but includes the redemption of us from sin and includes a a comprehensive healing of our lives. And so the question, second question is how? How does he bring this healing? You might think you know, you might want to say Jesus. And in this case, you're exactly right. The answer is always Jesus. Whether you're in Trinity Kids or Trinity Big People, it's always Jesus. Mark's gospel, the very first written gospel that we have of the four. Mark opens his gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, with these lines, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, written in Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Mark opens his entire gospel. He literally opens the New Testament by calling us back to this very chapter, Isaiah 40. And what he's doing is showing that, that, it, that it was fulfilled in, in the last prophet, which was John the Baptist. And so when John the Baptist came, he was like an Isaiah kind of prophet. He's more like an Old Testament prophet than a new. But he comes and he says, prepare the way of the Lord. And Mark says that John was fulfilling what Isaiah had written and that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment. Pray, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. He's saying Jesus is this Lord, the one that Isaiah had been looking forward to, the one that Isaiah called the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. This is Jesus Christ, and John was making the way for him. And this is the healing that we need. Jesus' healing is far less like a Band-Aid and far more like a heart transplant. Only Jesus can bring redemption from sin. Only Jesus can bring comprehensive healing. And I think as our passage shows, it's because only Jesus is as powerful as a sovereign and as gentle as a shepherd. It says in verse 9, You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. As the old translations say, behold your God. In verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. His reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. And so this passage gives us a vision of our Lord Jesus as a sovereign ruler, as the ultimate king. 
And I love this word sovereign. We've talked about it before. A sovereign, this word means somebody who has complete, a a person or a, a group or a nation that has complete, total authority over a place. And so it's said that our U.S. Navy is sovereign over the waters, which means that literally our Navy can go anywhere in the world and claim sovereignty. In most of the oceans of the world, they can do that. Now, I'm not a big war guy. I'm not like watching war shows and war movies all the time. I don't do CrossFit to like pretend I'm a Navy SEAL and (laughs) fill like a war-shaped void in my heart. That's not me. But uh, I do love like the technology and just the sheer massiveness of our aircraft carriers. So Joseph and I and our other boys, we used to watch this documentary over and over and over about uh, supercarriers. So, you know, we have a handful of these supercarriers and they're literally like floating cities. They're like the size of Mizzou's football stadium. They can carry like two dozen helicopters, two dozen fighter jets. There's thousands of people aboard this thing. They can go 25 years without refueling. They're incredible. And so what a sovereign ship like that can do is roll into any sea, any body of water, and everything else has to get away. Not only because of the sheer size of the boat, like all the other boats are getting out of the way, but because of what it represents, the sovereignty that the Navy can claim. And so these supercarriers can simply float into a sea saying, this belongs to me, this belongs to me, this belongs to me. And that's exactly what sovereignty is. And so when Isaiah says that Christ is our sovereign Lord, It's saying that he has total and complete authority, not just over the waters, not even just over the earth, but over the heavens, over over the, the entire cosmos. All authority has been given in heaven on earth to Jesus. He is the ultimate sovereign king. He's the most powerful thing and nothing else can even compare to it. And so that means that Jesus can go absolutely anywhere in the heavens, absolutely anywhere on earth and say, this belongs to me, this belongs to me, this belongs to me. He can go anywhere in our hearts, anywhere in our lives and say, this belongs to me. Isaiah announces the message that we need at Christmas. Behold your God. Behold this sovereign, all-powerful king that has restored us to himself. But Jesus doesn't just have the power of a sovereign. He also has the gentleness of a shepherd. Verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them gently to his heart. He gently leads those that have young It's such an incredible passage. You can almost miss it, that he goes from the heights of a sovereign king to the the low places of a gentle shepherd. It's incredible that our all-powerful sovereign is also our gentle shepherd. And in Christ, we need both. In Christ, there's, there's there's no problem with those two things. There's a seamless connection between Christ as sovereign and Christ as shepherd. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In Galatians, Paul writes that gentleness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So it means as you become like Christ, you will grow in gentleness like Christ. And then, of course, if you've never seen Jesus 
as the good shepherd of Psalm 23. Hear these words again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But a gentle shepherd is, it's only a great comfort if he's also the all-sovereign king. And so Psalm 23 continues, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so again, I don't know exactly what you need from the Lord this morning. You may need the gentle shepherd that speaks into the the hurt of your life. The shepherd that carries you close to his heart and, and leads you like a shepherd would guide the young lamb. And if that's you, if you feel the hurt of your life and you feel the brokenness of our world and you long for Christ as shepherd, Isaiah says, yes and amen, behold your God. But again, if you have been struggling with the same things for years, you're trying to to root things out of your heart, you're looking around and seeing the injustice of our world, the brokenness of our communities, like the complete dumpster fire that is our national leadership. You look to the world and you think, I need a sovereign. I need a real ruler, a real authority in this broken world. I need a true king, the desire of nations. All nations desire a true and completely sovereign king. And yet only the kingdom of Christ has one. And so if you're looking out and saying, I need the strong arm of Jesus. I need him to come in power. I need the sovereign Lord. Isaiah says, yes and amen. Behold your God. The sovereign is the shepherd. This is the good news of Christmas, of sovereignty and gentleness in one Jesus. Jesus comes to bring redemption from sin and he comes to bring complete restoration. It's the glorious paradox of strength and weakness, of power and gentleness. And most fully, it was on the cross that we see all of this come together at once. The all-powerful sovereign was made weak. Glory itself was mocked and bloodied. The infinite one didn't lift a finger. The sovereign one didn't say a word. But the desire of nations let his hands be chained, his body hung up in defeat. The gentle shepherd was led like a lamb to the slaughter, the sacrificial lamb. And so Jesus shows us this is true greatness. The ability to be weak. A child lying quiet in a manger. True power is the power to lay it all down. True freedom is the freedom of of giving yourself away. True glory is descending into the grave and conquering it from within. The most famous verses of this passage It only comes in this context. It only comes in the context of a sovereign and a shepherding Lord. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. 
Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This isn't cheap peace, ignoring the pains and the hurt of our world. This is true peace and true comfort coming through the pains and through the darkness of our world. And so as we wrap up this Advent series, we see that Jesus is our only hope. He is our hope for light into darkness, for, for peace into brokenness, for a home for the exiles and comfort for the hurting, every valley raised up. In the words of Isaiah, behold your God. Let's pray.